We've been talking about fruitfulness this year. And uh, fruitfulness is something that the Lord has for us. It is not a requirement to be a good Christian, but it is a gift that God gives to us. And sometimes we can get those two things confused, especially when we think about fruitfulness as something that makes us validated, and then we feel our own lack of validation. And we can sometimes think in terms of God's promises in a triggered kind of way. And so when God says, be fruitful and multiply, or when Jesus says, it is the Father's will that you will bear, bear much fruit, we can sometimes listen to it from a downside kind of uh, perspective and think that if we are not fruitful, then we are not loved by God. And sometimes it's really hard to actually think about great things that God has for us from the point of view of our own deficit. So I think that's one of the things that is really hard for Christians because of the fact that God has so much for us and He wants us to actually have it. He actually doesn't just keep it up in the air and says, well, this is for you. If you don't want it, it's okay, it's fine, no problem. When He actually is pressing us into great things for Him, you know, fruitful things for Him, things that are, that are, that are, that are serious, serious stuff, right? Not just fun stuff, but serious stuff. Serious fun, <laughs> so, so to speak. Serious joy. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because there's, going, there's something that uh, I'm going to be sharing which will require some courage on our, on our part to be able to hear it right. And what you have to hear is that God has uh, infinite riches for us and you have to hear it that way or else there is a way in which you can, you can hear it through the lens of, sorry about the mixed mix metaphors, the, through the through the through the through the, the the framework of the filter of a kind of a downside deficit kind of way, in and in and in, in in doing so, we will actually feel condemned. So I'm going to take a risk and go with you to Isaiah 54 and look at that passage that we've been looking at before. It came to me somewhere during this week that. Um, Instead of my own plans to actually move forward in Isaiah 54, I have to kind of go back and cover some ground which has not been, uh, been covered yet. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 54. We'll read it from the ESV, and we'll, we'll read it from verse 1. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, or you have not travailed. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. For, for because you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. We'll unpack that a little bit over the next few weeks. But verse 3 is the, the reason why, the basis for which you are to enlarge yourself and to behave differently, act differently, because something is impending. Something is an inheritance waiting to be dug out. Something that is already been prepared for, paid for, and, um, and, and tied in a bow for you is already waiting for you. And it is this, that you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. We, if you've been in VCF for a long time, you will know that we, have, we talk a little bit, a bit about the, a certain kind of typology in which the children of Israel, as they entered into the Promised Land, had basically three elements to them. One is the tabernacle, that's where God's presence was. They were to, to live in this dwelling place of God, so to speak, to dwell in that place. They were to live out of that place. And if they lived out of that place in obedience to God, His power, His Spirit, His glory will flow out through them into their land, the land, the promised land, the places where they found themselves, the places where God has set them, has appointed for them, allotted them. 
Today, we can think of them as our jobs, the people that we have around us, the, people, the children that we have, our family that we have, the, the networks of relationships that we have, the things that, have, that concern us. They, they are not a necessarily a permanent place, and not, a, not necessarily a permanent geographical place, but it's where God has you now. This is, the op, this, is, this is the place where God's presence is supposed to flow out and cause fruitfulness in that land. God said to the children of Israel that if you obey my laws and, and keep my commandments and, 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 and follow me, I will bless your land. And when the nations around look into your land, they will see how wise a God that is and how compassionate and merciful a God you have, how much God loves you. So in some ways, our spiritual life from the temple or from the, from the tabernacle was supposed to be, have its particular outworking in our land, okay? in our normal life in relation to other people around us or close to us, our neighbors and all that. Does it make sense? So there's a way in which God calls us to be witnesses and in Hosea, in the book of Hosea, God speaks about the fact that your relationship <coughs> with me should show forth <coughs> in your land, in your fruitfulness. And if you go away from me, your land will become barren. And so the whole book of um, Hosea, the prophecy of Hosea, was a, was a, um, a diatribe against um, Israel's unfaithfulness. And he says, if you come back to me, I will sow again into, the, into your land. And I will, I, will, I will call out to the heavens and I'll call out to the sky. I'll call out to the rain and I will bring forth rain in, in your life. So that's what God, God basically says in, in Hosea. That's the idea of the land. Yeah, that's the, the land. When Isaiah chapter 54 says, strengthen your stakes, he's, not a, he's stay, saying, strengthen your stakes in God but also strengthen your stakes in the land that God has called, called you to. Because the land where we work, where we have our ordinary life, our, at least for now, wherever God has, has us for now, is the place in which He wants to manifest or to work out His greatness, His goodness through you. By doing so, His glory shines through you and me, and He is glorified. Amen? So there were these three elements, the tabernacle, the land, and what we call the world, the place where um, in Hebrew we call the goyim, the, the people of, of the, the, the Gentiles. Yeah? So people who don't know God can actually look in and see what kind of God He is. Not just by what we say, but by how we live. And there will be times in which the people of the land, in, in our land, we ourselves, will experience the same kind of famine as people in the world experience famine, drought, all that. But as they look at how we go through trials like the, that are common to the people in the world, they will see the difference. You see God shining through. Sometimes it's suffering that causes the distinction to be made between people who are blessed and those who don't know God. Does that make sense? It is not that if you are in the land, there's a space in which everything is going to go fine. No, there is a way in which God's witness came from the children of Israel through suffering as well. But there was a difference in which how things worked out. Amen? So when we look at Isaiah chapter 54, um, God says to the children of Israel, Sing, O barren one, you who did not bear. Break forth into singing. Cry out loud, you who have not been in labor. He's speaking to a group of people, a company of people, who have not experienced fruitfulness. They're actually barren. They are experiencing the curse of fruitlessness, of desolation. And it could be because of past sins, it could be of various, various reasons. He's speaking to them. And he's saying the time is now to be fruitful, to break forth. Because you will break forth on the right and the left. Where? In your land. Does that make sense? And in fact, lands may be added to you. Places. So that's, that's basically Isaiah 54. I believe this year is a year in which we will see this fulfilled in our lives. Yeah? And, and so that's why these past few weeks we've been talking about that, especially, yeah? that we will be fruitful. 
All right, that was all the past three sermons summarized in not so short a time. <laughs> all right. We looked at verse 3, enlarge the place of your tent, let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. We spoke about being stretched. We spoke about not holding back. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And last week we spoke about strengthening our stakes. Yeah? For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and, and, uh, and will people the desolate cities. And it's very interesting. What he was basically saying is this. Your tent will stretch out. And it will stretch out, not just physically, but it will stretch out in such a way that it will cover the nations. Wow, isn't that amazing? In Isaiah chapter 40, uh, have you noticed? In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, I'm the God who stretches out the heavens like a tent that you may dwell in it. That this heavenly realm, the realm of heaven, has been stretched out for us to such an extent it's no longer in some little tent there, but it is stretched out over the world. So that wherever you go, you are supposed to be living in the, in, the, in the tent of the heavenlies. Where the power of God, the presence of God, the joy of the Lord, and the resources of infinity are available to us. That tent is your base of operation. You're not to stay in the tent and then not go out to the world. It's supposed to flow out into the world. And that's why you and I are called to be witnesses to manifest or to produce the proof. The, a witness is a producer of the proof, a proof producer, as Maurice Rollo likes to say. A proof pr producer of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and because of that, the devil's power has been destroyed. And as a result of that, you and I are supposed to be witnesses in the land that Jesus is alive. That your, that, that your friends and loved ones do not really need to live in bondage anymore. That Jesus, by, as, as, as Sifah has said, it's so touching, is that by the tearing apart of his own body, has made provision for your friends who don't know the Lord to be saved. That's crazy, isn't it? It's, I don't know how to describe that. Describe that, that in, by the very price of his own body, his own being, your friends, the, the person who's, who's, who, who you love so much, has been provided for. As witnesses, God calls us to be people who share that with Him. And then He's speaking to those who have never experienced God doing that in their life. Sing, O barren one. Now again, you need courage to hear this. Because the, the part of us will make us feel triggered that God is requiring us to be fruitful. No, this is a gift of God. Okay? All right, let's, let's, let's move on, okay? Let's move on. He says to those who are barren, not barren, did not bear, did not travail, Travail. He's saying to them, travail. Travail is one of those things that I've been feeling that perhaps the Lord wants to speak to us more deeply about. Have you ever travailed? I have never, physically. But travail is one of the most intense things that a human being can ever experience. And that travail does not happen only in the few hours in which we are giving birth, but through that whole period of carrying the child. And I'd like to just talk a little bit about that because it, I see that travail refers to the seat of our very being. Have you ever had a burden that you carry that keeps you up at night, that captures you. It's almost as if your burdens, your travails, go deep to the things that, that are most important, that are most essential to you. Don't you think? Travail points to the most significant, the most meaningful, the most precious 
the most wrestled upon thing in our being. What say you? Some people, just Chesterton says, in their sunny selfishness, never experienced travail. I would say they've never ever found themselves. You can be found in your travail. Your purpose in life can be found somewhere in the travail. I've travailed spiritually for my children, and it keeps me up at night. But the fact that it can keep me up at night and keep me awake through the night, night after night after night after night, is supernatural, don't you think? I get to. I get to have something important. My, it's almost as if the seed of my being can be found in the places where I am burdened. Some people never find that. And because of that, they never find themselves. They are not serious. I don't mean serious as being like long face, you know. In Malaysia, we said your face is long as a papaya. <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean by serious things that are of, 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 of worth, of weight. And when God is saying to us, travail, He's calling us to find ourselves, right? Find ourselves in Him. Don't you think? We will never find our purpose for, li- for living, the meaning of our life, ourselves. We can't ever find ourselves unless we find ourselves in our, the burden God has given to us. And God's, God, God's speaking to us about that. And that travail ha- brings us to who we really are, what's really precious to God. Now, it's true that most people, they, they spend their life on things that don't really matter. Right? That's why Isaiah chapter 55 says, why do you spend your money on things that, that are not food, not, not milk? Yeah? They're not of any, any importance. They are not serious people. They are people who cannot be taken seriously because they haven't got into a, a real burden yet, a thing that really matters. They are concerned about more superficial things. Now, Isaiah chapter 54 is talking about this. That God wants to bring us to, into a birthing of things that really matter, matter to Him. To call, bring us into that. But it says also, verse 4, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed, be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood, you will remember no more. Okay? And what he's saying is this. Don't let shame or the fear of being ashamed stop you from going all out for Him. For the purpose that God has for your life. Do not let your barrenness, your nothingness, your not, 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 not travail, not labor with child, not, Born, born any child, do not let not cause you to play into shame. Do not let shame stop you. Yeah? Don't let your shame trigger you just because God has more for you. Travail is an expression of the fact that God has more for me than what I see. There is more for me than what I'm experiencing. Amen? Travail is, is, a, is a deep sense of what should be there, but which I don't have yet. And I must not be triggered by that, okay? I, not be, I must not be shake, tr- triggered by my shame. Because if I'm triggered by my shame, I will not go there. I will domesticate everything that I have had and say, that's it, that's, that's great, I have a good life. And I'll be satisfied with less. Right? I will live with respect to what I have rather than what God has for me. 
when I was in uh, studying in Singapore, I've, I've been told that Singaporeans are the highest uh, performers in academics nowadays. I had a taste of it when I was in Singapore. When I was in primary one, I mean seven years old. In primary one, I went to this school, the Anglo-Chinese school, which was uh, one of the good schools in Singapore. And in primary one, they, we would have tests. And when you get, in, you get into the class, but along, along the class, there's this corridor. And before the class starts at 7.30, the parents have jam-packed the corridor, and they're testing their children on spelling and all kinds of, kind of things. My parents did not. I just went in. And I remember my first report card as a primary one student in Singapore, right? I got five A's and two B's. And I was 20th in the class. In Singapore, we all have positions. Yeah, it's brutal. We have all positions. We all know where we stand. So I, was, I stood 20th. I thought five A's, two B's was really good. Hey, I tell you something. When I applied for law, okay, I had to be one of the top 50 in the country to get into law, and my A-level scores were B, B, C, C. And that was the top 50. So we didn't have A's given like that. So when I got five A's and two B's in Singapore, I thought I was great. I was 20th in the class. And the teacher wrote in my report card, could do better. What? Could do better? I thought I had done pretty well. But my teacher said, could do better. Could, could do better. Could do better. Could do better. So for, for every term, there was a, a comment that the teacher would call remarks. Remarks from the teacher. And every term it would be, could do better, could do better, could do better. My parents got frustrated with me, you know. And I says, Michael, he keeps on saying you could do better. And I read it to mean, didn't do well. Didn't do well, actually. Could do better. Only much, much later in adult life did I realize that the teacher was actually holding out hope to me that the teacher was saying, actually, I'm smarter than what I was performing. At that time, I thought, no, I thought this is a complete cancellation of me. It's a complete degradation of my mor morale. Could do better. And so, in some ways, I was triggered by could do better. I couldn't see that what the teacher was trying to say was that there's more. There's not br more brain in that knucklehead of yours, right? I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that. And one of the things that's hard for us as Christians is to look at God's more and God saying, you could do better. You could do better. Because actually when Christ's body was torn apart, He paid the highest price ever so that you could live like Him that you could see miracles happen in your life, that you could embody His life, His glory and, and, and power, and, and more can happen in your life. What say you? Okay, so because if, if, we, if we are agreeing with this, then what we are saying is this, right now, currently, God has more for us than what we are experiencing. And the last thing we want to do is to draw a bullseye around our life that we have now. We don't want to get triggered. At the same time, we don't want to say, this is it. Well, this is, this is what, what it is. And so I want to put it to you that actually, as we look at Isaiah 54, one of the most courageous things that we can do is to be able to say, no, what I have now is not it. What I'm experiencing now, good as it is, is peanuts, it's just the appetizer for what God has for me. It's time for me to think about myself in relation to how God sees me rather than my own experience and how I am in comparison with other people.
What say you? And I must not let the no, the not, not born before, not experienced this or not been experienced some of the things, the wonderful things that we've been hearing about, all the stories that we've heard about. I must not let that trigger me or prevent me from going for it or feeling even condemned. I can feel not condemned and say, no, this is peanuts that I'm experiencing. If I can do that, I'll be liberated from trying to protect my own sense of my own self. What did you say? I believe that God would love for us to be a company of people who are having a godly dissatisfaction and not be too quick to affirm our achievements right now. Because great though you may think they may be, they are nothing compared with what God has for us. But to actually enter into that, not just say, not just gainsay that, but to just be able to say, to actually enter into say, to this place and say, I am not, I'm not, N-A-U-G-H-T, not. It's the starting point of the cross where from zero God can do something. But if I accumulate a, a, a sort of a, a self-satisfied kind of feeling from all my past achievements or my past experiences, then I won't be starting from the cross, not starting from zero. With God, it's always starting from zero. The fruitfulness is predicated upon a barren womb. The fruitfulness that God has for us starts with our recognition of our own barrenness. Amen? So could do better is actually a blessing. Could do better is a, is a, is a blessing for us. We are all, I would say, underperforming. In that, in that sense. Yeah? But there is a way in which we also are growing. Right? Think about it this way, okay? This is, this is a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for a bird to learn how to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present, and you can't go on indefinitely being just a decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. So I may be an egg, and if somebody tells me, you're supposed to fly, I have to accept the fact that I can't fly as an egg, and eggs don't fly. Eggs have to be hatched. The egg must not feel triggered when someone says, you're supposed to fly. What the egg has to do is to say, okay, I'm actually a bird, and I'm going to start picking at the shell. Pick, 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 until I come out of it, right? I would think that if all of us as a church had the prospect of being a bird and not an egg anymore, and not an egghead either, but... <laughs> But being a bird, to pick at that shell until we come out, then as a bird, flying becomes a realistic prospect. But you cannot condemn yourself just because you're an egg. You can't throw the egg flying through the air and think that's flying. That's not flying. Make sense? I want to put it to you that actually... We are supposed to be birds, not just to remain as eggs. We have to come out of the shell that we've created by whatever psychology that we, we subscribe to that makes us feel good about ourselves, but reduces all the things that Jesus has done to something doable. There's a certain discomfort that we experience as an egg trying to be coming out of the shell. There's a certain discomfort. There's discomfort 
must not feel like a reproach, must not feel like a condemnation. It must not trigger us. It must make us feel, I could do better. And there's more. But there's a certain development that's needed. And I'm not going to allow myself to feel condemned or dismissed or not respected or not thought of as anything much. I'll take my lumps. Because indeed, I'm just an egg. But indeed, I'm more capable of th- than just sitting down and just rolling. Right? I can fly. <laughs> what say you? But what I find in the church is that there's a certain sensitivity that we all have to how people are treating us. Because of the fact that we think we should be respected for what we have already. I said, leave it alone. It's not worth it. Our paltry experiences are not worth it. We're not that good. We're not that good. And if we need to actually experience some kind of discipline in, in such a way that we, are, we experience the breaking of the outer man, be, it, be that as it may, we will actually have prospects. You know what? I found that people who have the least prospects are the people who hold on to their own self-worth. You have to take it and just throw it to the ground like it. Take your face and just throw it to the ground because if you keep on mollycoddling who you are and keeping it and, 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 and treating it with kid, kid gloves, you will not actually become a bird who can fly. You will not. You will always be triggered. You will always be offended. You will always remain in the safe zone. Yeah? And what I'm, I'm saying to you is this. God, I'm saying to myself, God has put us in the land. The land where you work, the land where you have people. You have land, the land where people are not that sympathetic to you who don't actually think that you're the best thing since what, sliced bread or white, whatever, whatever that phrase is. <laughs> who don't actually think, who, who don't ever think you're that, that smart or that able and all that, who actually maybe even be against you, who are waiting for, waiting for you to prove yourself. You are facing the goyim, the, the Gentiles, who actually are not there to try to encourage you, they are actually there to challenge you. And my discipleship has always been that form in which there's somebody who's always challenging me, goading me. I thank God for them. If I cannot take it, then I should actually not be thinking about great things. I'll stay in my shell. Some of us are going through this in which God wants to break the, the shell of the outer man until we come to a place we have no respect for who we are now. And I, I mean that in the best sense of the word. But we are actually saying, I'm starting from scratch, okay? Zero. Because I want everything. And yes, you may be better than me now. But because I'm willing to go to zero, I'm going to get everything. That's what God, what God has for Now be fruitful in the land. I'm willing to be corrected in every way. I'm willing to be humbled in every way. I'm willing to be seen as nothing. Not even notice. Not even notice. Because I'm not going for by, by what people think of me or say to me or say of me. I have this thing in which God has stretched the heavens out like a, t- a tent over me and I will be hidden for a while. But I'm woodshedding because there's going to come a time in which God's glory is going to be revealed. But I will take my lumps. Amen? Travail leads us to who we really are. God. And what travail does is that it brings us into from being a fun person to being a serious person, a person of serious things, a person to be taken seriously. 
And that is why travail is such a great word, isn't it? It's such a deep longing, a deep burden, a deep pain, a deep suffering, a deep breaking, but just deep breaking because of something that is deeply powerful, deeply good, that is beyond ourselves. So, Isaiah chapter 54. Fear not, you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. What God is saying is this. It gets repeated in John chapter 16 when he says, the woman will forget the pain that she's gone through for joy of the, of the child that she has got. He's saying, shame does not get healed by mollycoddling our wounds. Shame gets healed when you have a new experience. And so what God's assurance to the person who has wounded by shame is not that they would be treated tenderly, but that they will have an, an experience that they must break into. Because the breaking into that new dimension will cause you to have the opposite of desolation, the opposite of barrenness, the, best, the opposite of failure, but you will experience God's glory, greater than the glory of someone who is humanly fertile. And what you find always in the Old Testament is shame, past failures and all that, is dealt with not by some kind of um, um, psycho psychological kind of treatment, I'm, and I'm not saying that that is not uh, an, an important part of it, but I'm saying that the logic of Scripture is always this. The Lord has made me forget my, 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 my shame. The Lord has made me forget. And Joseph says, you know, when, when he, 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 um, he names Manasseh, he says, for the Lord has made me forget. That's not because of inner healing, so to speak. is a, a kind of a method of, of ministry, but it has to do with something in which God does that is so powerful, so God, that it swallows up our past experiences. So much so that you actually forget. Or even if you remember, it doesn't have the same kind of sting as it has before. And if we do not go on to these things that God has for us, we will remain licking our wounds, hoping that somehow the saliva will heal it. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal through inner healing. I believe in heal, inner healing. In fact, this year, we as a church will actually delve a lot more into inner healing than, than we have in the past. This is one, some, of the, some of the things that I want to talk about uh, in subsequent weeks. Inner healing is going to be an important part of our, our, our anointing and our, and our ministry. But here we are talking about something else. We're talking about a way in which God is causing our experience to change comes by coming to zero first and saying, okay, what does it take? All that I need, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to go through whatever it is God, for you to make me, even if it means breaking my, my sense of integrity of who I am. Now, C.S. Lewis is here very helpful again um, when he talks about ourselves, okay? He talks about ourselves in this way. Our real selves are waiting for us in Him. We think ourselves, what we, or let me just try to read my own handwriting, which is terrible. What I call myself now is hardly a person at all. It's mainly a meeting place of various desires, fears, and voices, some of them from the devil. What we call ourselves is not a self. It's just a meeting place of all our desires, our cravings, our wantings, and all this, our own reactions to the world outside. What he's saying is that a self is something that comes from God. A self is called. So when God calls you, He gives you a name, He gives you a self, He gives you a purpose. Most of us have not come to ourselves yet because we have made our purpose 
the things that we are craving after all on, all on the outside. So as Cindy was, was telling me, the prodigal son had to come to himself. What does he mean? What does that mean? I mean, he was going after all these other things, right? But all these other things were distractions. They were not himself. He didn't realize who he was. He could not hear from God until he came to himself. We can't come to ourselves by chasing after those desires, no matter how strong those desires are. Chasing after the approval of men or people and all that. Chasing after these success, successes, things, all these things. Those are distractions because they don't come from our essential self. Right? So what, what, what C.S. Lewis is basically saying, uh, and I find this quite helpful, the self you are interested to be is something tied and lived not through nature, but from God. It doesn't come from nature, it comes from God. And that's where the travail comes in, you see, because God is wanting us to find ourselves. Not this meeting place of many desires and stimuli and distractions and things that we get fixated on. He's wanting us to find not the success, the money, the, all that, but the call that He has that makes us who we are. So when we travail, we are travailing that Christ be formed in us, Paul says in Galatians. The whole of nature is travailing until the sons of glory, sons of God are birth. And what God is basically saying is this, to find yourself, you have to die. The eggshell must break. Whatever we distracted ourselves with and have constructed this construct that we've made based upon our own successes, our own kinds of resumes and all, all these kinds of things, you have to let it go. Because what God has will make those things feel like peanuts. He won't negate those things because He will actually make those things have meaning. Yes, Lewis talked about salt, right? You know, when you first taste salt, I, I can't even imagine that, that there, there's such a, a time in which you first taste the salt. Salt's been there all along. So, you think salt is so salty that it will take away the taste of the, of the food. But not true. What salt does is that it enhances the taste of the rosemary and all the other the taste that you have. Doesn't that, does that make sense? What God does is that He enhances who we are but who we are is not from nature, but from heaven, from God. Amen? So I believe that this is something that God has for us. I want to say the primary way for us to be able to find the life that God has for us is through prayer. It's through prayer. It's through prayer and through a being part of something that God is doing to bring that out. You don't have to look for it. It will look for you. Because God calling you and me is going to be the chief thing that you will now hear if you have this framework in life. That will be the chief thing. It will be the, if you've heard this message, from now on, this will be the thing that will be constant, will be a constant in your heart, in your spirit, in your life from now on. A calling is not validated by your success or my success in these things. A calling is something that is validated by the amount of suffering that you find yourself able to go through in respect of that. A calling is not a calling into something that you enjoy most doing. So that even though it is quite true that calling happens when our greatest joy meets the earth's greatest needs, it's quite true. That's not the definition of a calling. A calling re requires someone to call you. 
It really has nothing to do with the fact that you like doing certain things. So that a person who's called into full-time ministry doesn't go on calling to full-time ministry because it's a fit. You can never tell by fit. Fits don't constitute a call. If nobody has called you, you can fit all you want. But the fit is just a fit. A calling is a divine encounter with God. And most of the time when God encounters us in that way, we are crying, not laughing or fitting. When I was in Malaysia, we used to have these conferences or these worship services in which someone who's called, who has suffered through that call, has, is calling the congregation or, or, or the students or whoever into a life that is supernatural, in which God can use you and I to bring people to Himself. That we can actually bring healing and power and, and health to places that are completely broken. And I remember those days when I was, was, was in this, this particular group of people. I would constantly hear about amazing things that these people were doing in their, in their church planting. Amazing miracles, and, and which I began to experience when I responded to the call. But most of the time, I've got to tell you, when people responded to the call, they weren't trying to fit some kind of bougie thing, you know. I was told by somebody, he says, I went to Africa and, uh, and I found two kinds of missionaries. One, the bougie kind, mostly young, very tech-savvy, very places all filled, very filled with all technology. And then there's these classic missionaries who are suffering it and just sticking it out there and miracles are happening. Very clear. When we had these meetings, every, every, every week, every week, it was just like a revival. People call out for anybody who wants to, who feels that God is calling them into full-time ministry. People would come out, university graduates, university undergraduates, and they'll be bawling. They'll be bawling. They'll be just crying. We have to wipe up the floor after that. Because when they respond to a call, they are not responding to something that is a fit. Not fit. They're responding to a call to come and die. And, and what God has for you is something it's supernatural, something that is, cannot be found on earth, that's not on the order of nature. And I, and, 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 and I remember one particular person who was a, a classmate of mine, he had much to lose. He came from a very rich family. And when he, when he responded to the call, he knew exactly what was going to happen. His parents were very, very powerful. Locked him in the lock him to the room for weeks. Slapped him. I remember one time he was in, 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 in church. We were worshiping the Lord. The family came in with two gangsters, right? With, with, with sticks. And dragged him out. Slapped him in front of all of us. Dragged him. We were just shocked. And then, they came to me. And gave me a roll of um, $100 bills. There's a lot more I have to do. Just tell my son, don't go full time. He knew what, he was, a, what a call was. It didn't come because he wanted to do good. It came because he didn't want to do it good, but God was calling him. And so, what, may I suggest to you that actually, when we find our true selves, we find ourselves responding to God in such a way that we find that it's not necessarily a thing that is going to be for our benefit, but because of the fact there's something so compelling from God that we get into some serious stuff that causes serious joy. And I want to put it to you that actually this is what God's calling you and I into. And I remember that for many years, I tried to do ministry and tried to do ministry, and I didn't seem to be having anybody respond to the ministry that I was doing in a deep way. People come to the Lord and then they'll leave, come to the Lord and leave. I found that 
people that I brought to the Lord was like a, like a, like what George Whitfield called a, a rope of sand. It just slipped through my fingers. I said, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? And the Lord called me and, uh, and, and uh, I've shared this before and he spoke to me. I want you to give up your ambition to have further studies in, in literature. I had a scholarship to come to um, Chicago, uh, actually uh, Illinois, University of Illinois, to do my, um, my graduate work in English literature. And uh, my university had said, you go, we will we'll sponsor you, you'll come back, and you will lecture in the University of Malaya. I thought, this is great. I can be a witness there, just, just doing that. And then the Lord called me. And, I, and I, I remember I was praying about this, and I had my forms to fill in and all that. And the Lord gave me a vision. And he gave me a vision of, 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 of the city whose walls were in ruins, just completely broken down. And then it was at this time that he spoke to me. And this is the first time I found that God had spoken to me so clearly. It's almost visual. He says, I want you to stay back and build, help to build the wall. Not build the walls. I, I don't presume to be the one to build the wall. Help build the wall. Just help being able to build the wall. And I tore up everything and I gave up my, uh, my ambition to, be, to do this because there was something that was not sad. It wasn't sad. It just felt compelling. And I found my true nature. I found my true self in that. And after that, when uh, I found that um, I responded to him, you know, the, the next time I shared or taught and all that, the response that people had to what I was sharing was so deep, so profound. I remember that meeting. I was just sharing something of my testimony and so, so a lot of people actually uh, responded to give their lives to God full-time. I wasn't even talking about full-time ministry. And many of them are still in full-time ministry. Something changed, the very nature of things. What issued from, from me changed. It was something that I never experienced before in my life. I never experienced anything like that. And the Lord speaks to those of us who have never experienced these kinds of things. I have this for you. Do not be perturbed by the fact you've never perhaps experienced any of this. Don't try to show up your past experience as if, well, that's not bad too, that's not bad too. No, I have more. Even if it is great, I have more. To make your more as if it's nothing. Amen? And so I want to seriously put before you as a, as a, as a congregation, before us, consider our ways. How has it been? How has it been? How has it been for us in the Great Commission? God says, Jesus says, Go ye to all the world, make disciples of all nations. How's it going? Don't feel condemned. If at any one point you feel I've been fruitless, God says, I have a gift for you. It's not based upon how fruitful you've been. It's because I'm going, I'm going to do something that has never happened to you before. But if you're willing to respond to my call, say, I'm coming for you. Not because it's a fit, not because it's going to make, give me the greatest joy or, make, or give me a lot of uh, fulfillment, but because of the fact that I'm being called by someone who loves me infinitely. I don't know what's going to happen next. But let's follow you. Amen? I want to invite each one of us to just take a few moments to just bow our heads in prayer. And uh, invite the Lord to speak to us. Tell us what He thinks. Quite apart from what we think of our own life. Lord, what do you say of us? Beyond all the things that we say to put words in your mouth to make us feel good about ourselves, and all the scriptural things, Lord, but what do you have for us? 
to us as a church. And deliver us from being mistaken between success and calling. Lord, we want the kind of success that comes from you, that is of your nature. We don't want the imposter. Neither do we want to feel comfortable with the little success that we have. And if it is true that you're preparing us for something serious and great, we ask you for your, your hand, your voice, your foundation in our lives. I want to invite you to pray about joining us for prayer. And if 12 o'clock doesn't work for you, let us know. And we can maybe set up another time that works for you. But you say, I want to pray. I want to pray regularly. I want to pray until the prayer becomes something that is so powerful that my ministry or the things that I do in my land just flows out of that in power. In the months to come, we will be having pillars and during these pillars, we will be having some kind of um, uh, training that will help us as witnesses in the land, in every way, not just to share the gospel, but to be a person in the land that God has put us. Join us for that. Be a part of this company of people who are saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply for your cross I cling. And you have more for me. Could do better. The Lord was just reminding me of Amos 3 and 4, where the Lord promises that he will do nothing until he tells his prophets. He will do nothing until he tells his prophets. And he promises a secret counsel to his prophets. And I feel today the Lord is here to say, you're a prophet for your own life. I am finding you. I'm just going to show you who you really are. You've never known yourself. I want to welcome you and introduce you to the one that I am still creating. And I saw this picture. I saw this picture of a jewelry box. And it was a black jewelry box. It's not beautiful on the outside uh, because God likes to work with secrets and dark places and secret places. That's our God. And in each one of these drawers, and I feel this is for every one of us here, when we opened it up, there was a word that is going to be better than pearls and gold and sapphires and any kind of jewelry. And this word is going to lead us forward. There's like three or four drawers. And so I feel the Lord is saying, take it seriously in the weeks to come, maybe the months even, and just write down those words. Find a jewelry box. Find something where you can set it aside because I'm telling you something, something that I'm going to do. Lord, we thank you that you are to be worshipped and adored. We cast our crowns before you. You lay them down at your feet that you could pick them up and use them in a scale and in a realm and dimension we've never ever seen before. We thank you, Lord, that you're not perturbed or intimidated by our own barrenness, but you are at work right now. Thank you, Lord. Take us out. Take us out of balance. Take us out of zero. Unless you do that, we remain there. 
we let go of any kind of crown of achievement, self-respect, sense of our own self, our own self-fulfillment, laid at your feet. Come, Holy Spirit, exchange our life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.